KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. From KYW News Radio 103.9 FM, this is Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Presented by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hi, I'm Raquel Williams. Coming up on Bridging Philly, an area organization is all about making change, providing affordable housing, and giving the community the necessary resources it needs to live healthy lives and sustain itself. We sit down with members of the group Heart of Camden. Philadelphia, Camden, New Jersey area. It's one of the poorest areas in the country. So people are in constant need of, of the basics that we take for granted. Charity Howard has our newsmaker this week. Like, I feel like I'm the Olivia Pope of poverty. Like, if there's a problem, I want to find someone who come in and offer solutions so that people can have resources. Antoinette Lee's changemaker is making a big impact in the community. If we can just inspire some kids, support them, that would be awesome. It's all coming up on Bridging Philly. 30 Seconds to Second Chances, brought to you by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Abdul Kareem Salahuddin was near death in 2014. I needed to get a liver transplant. At the same time, Carol McLeod's son had a seizure. Brian was declared brain dead. Carol, an Irish Catholic, decided to donate his organs. That's something that he would have wanted. Kareem, a devout Muslim, received Ryan's liver. God orchestrated this thing for us to come together. Now, their family. He's my older adopted son. Register as an organ donor at DonorsOne.org and help save lives. Hello, and welcome to Bridging Philly. Joining us today are members of an organization called Heart of Camden. It's a nonprofit community development organization whose goal is to provide the resources, amenities, and support necessary for residents to live healthy, prosperous lives in a self-sustaining community. It was founded in 1984 by Monsignor Michael J. Doyle of the Sacred Heart Church. And with us today is Heart of Camden Executive Director Carlos Morales and board member Ben Hill. Welcome, gentlemen. Welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for having us. You know, uh, I want to talk about Heart of Camden. First, I want to learn about Father Doyle. What exactly was his vision when he founded Heart of Camden? Well, what really happened was, was there was a need in Waterfront South, which is the area near the Walt Whitman Bridge in, in Camden, on, off of Broadway in Camden. And Father Michael, he, uh, he had this idea that a um, number of people there had come to him looking for houses. And, they, and one guy was actually going to lose his house. So he went and saw the landlord at that one house and actually bought the house from the guy. And then and then this uh, person was given the house and at a low interest rate. Then before he knew it, three or four more people come to him looking for housing. So he thought at this time it must be a good idea to, to try to start a housing corporation. And he brought along a good friend of ours named Bill Paley's, who was a, a chemist for Union Carbide. And he was there in Bhopal, India in 1984 when they had that big disaster and thousands of people died from a uh, gas leak. But he saw that people were living in squander there around this big, huge corporate structure. Mm-hmm. And he and he, and he kind of thought about it and said, wow, this is really, really terrible. So when he came back to the United States, he moved his family to our church in Camden, and he saw the same thing growing there. The industry was surrounding the people and swallowing up all the properties and polluting the air and the water, and and everything was just getting really messed up. So Father Doyle had a two-pronged idea there. Let's let's build some houses. Let's start a housing corporation. But let's also call these corporations to task on uh, polluting the air. And asthma cases are real high in the area with the children. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's been a lot of lead contamination found in their bloodstreams. 
So these things kind of propelled him into the idea of the heart of Camden being a housing corporation first, but also being an organization that would be an advocate for the people to try to help, you know, to mitigate these these issues. And, of course, the city and the state have had kind of a weird arrangement because they want profit to build a tax base in the city. But, of course, they want to take care of the people, too. But it became a real issue many years ago where they were actually going thinking about blowing out the whole, the, the residential area and just making it all industrial. Wow. And that had to be fought, and Father Doyle was there in, in the forefront to fight that, and we all witnessed that, and it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. So we went along for years, and um, I officially joined the organization about 15 years ago, and now I'm the board uh, chairman, uh, board of directors. And uh, it's not something I'm comfortable with. It's not what I do. I'm a radio engineer by trade. <laughs> so it's all new <laughs> stuff for me. And then uh, a few years ago, by the grace of God, I was uh, I was contacted by someone who said, you got to talk to this person named Carlos Morales. And I didn't know his backstory. And you'll hear from him in a minute here. But I didn't know a whole lot about him. But I was told he was the guy I needed to talk to. So we had a one of those clandestine diner <laughs> lunches <laughs> okay. or breakfasts or whatever it was. Okay. And I found out, wow, I, God is blessing us here because we, we, we didn't know what to do. Our last uh, great director had left and we had issues trying to find the right person. And and Carlos was is a godsend. And uh, he's been uh, hit the ground running and he's been running with us ever since. And uh, it's been quite a ride. Um, yeah, thank you, Ben. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and just to kind of pick up from there, uh, as Ben said, um, I have a long history with the organization. Um, so Monsignor Doyle started the organization in 1984. Um, the first homeowner, uh, I think, was Andy Orsini, right? Ben? Yes, uh, Andy Orsini. And, uh, and that was the uh, family that uh, Ben was, you know, mentioned that um, was seeking a home and were be about to be um, evicted by their landlord. Uh, my situation was a little different. Uh, I was a uh, I was a young kid, a uh, little guy, um, much much smaller, <laughs> um, going to Sacred Heart School, and uh, so I was going to Sacred Heart School. Uh, my sister and I were going to Sacred Heart School, um, and uh, we had been you know we'd been there. I'd been there since fifth grade. My sister was there at yeah third fourth grade. I'm sorry, and uh, we you know we were going and going there um but when but you know we had a little dark secret that no one knew about um we were living in a homeless shelter for women and mm-hmm. uh, so what would happen was my mother would actually put us on a uh, bus from downtown camden we would get on the bus early in the morning get off right in front of the school here in uh, south camden walk over to school and, you know in our uniforms and go to school and 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 go along our day like nothing you know uh, um, our reality didn't exist. Uh, so what happened was my mother fell behind in her tuition payments, uh, and in our tuition payments and she was brought in and, uh, and it was, you know, it was a kind of really testing time for us. You know, we had been in the shelter for almost two years and, um, and my mother just broke down and she just broke down and it was just the weight of the world, you know? And so here we were living in a shelter. We were about to be removed from the school because, you know, she couldn't afford it. And Monsignor Dora got involved. And this is right around the time that the organization was starting up. He had this vision. Um, and at the same time, literally a week before, um, someone had just walked into the church and, and into the convent and or directory, I'm sorry, and uh, had um, 
handed over a house. Um, the young man's mother died. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wanted to do, do something good with the house. And he said, please give to somebody who needs it. And by God's grace, a week later, my mother was speaking to Monsignor Doyle in the principal's office about our tuition you know, situation and our housing situation. And uh, we were blessed. We were blessed with the home and, wow. and it changed our lives and it set it in a whole different trajectory. Wow. And uh, so since then, uh, you know, the Heart of Camden has gone on to build over 250 homes. And so, like I tell people, you know, my story is one of 250. You know, everyone has their own unique situation. Everyone has their story and how they ended up at the Heart of Camden. And the first hundred houses were uh, built by volunteers. Uh, the first hundred houses, uh, the Heart of Camden held the mortgages. And so, it gave people the opportunity who would never have qualified through traditional means to obtain a mortgage to own a home. And that is something that I I think had my mother had to qualify for, you know, go through a bank process. I mean, how do you do that? Right. Like you're, you're in a shelter, you're, you're working, (laughs) you're, you know, barely making ends meet, you would never qualify for, for a mortgage. But here the Heart of Camden created this program that changed so many lives. Um, so like I said, I'm one of 250. So the first 100 homes were built by volunteers. Um, they were bought by um, families that probably would not have qualified for traditional mortgages because the mortgages were held by the organization. Mm-hmm. And since then, it's moved to a much more traditional model. But that's how the organization started. And uh, a lot of great stories and a lot of great families and a lot of uh, young people um, lives were changed because of that. So, wow. so we all, you know, we're very grateful to Monsignor Door to the heart of Camden. And, and as Ben said, um, I have a passion for affordable housing and redevelopment of urban cities. And obviously because it's very personal to me, because I know how something like that can impact someone's life. And someone's and change someone's life, and um, so uh, I've had 25 years in this industry, and in the last four years I've been here at the heart of Canada. So it's been full circle for me. I mean, to come back to the organization that gave my mother a home um, it is it's it's been an honor, mm-hmm. a challenge, but it's but it but it's been one that I'm 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 willing to take on, and and very grateful um, that I've been put into this position to be able to kind of take the organization to the next level. So. You know, affordable housing is just one of those issues that's so key, especially in neighborhoods that are impoverished, such as Camden. Like you said, your story, one of 300, one of even more than that. I mean, so many more stories are out there like that. And all it takes is just one person to care and do something. See, affordable housing is one of those things that is a political football. It likes to be, you know, thrown back and forth, but it really needs action. Uh, We could talk about it all day, but it takes, you know, uh, it takes commitment to want to actually sit down and draft a plan and put it into action and help people, which is what you guys are doing. So that's wonderful. Yeah, and our, our mission really had from the very beginning was is to try to stabilize the neighborhood because we, we, we kind of determined pretty much early on that if you have homeowners living there, they're going to sweep their sidewalks. That's right. They're going to join the town watch. They're going to get involved. They're going to take care of things in the neighborhood. They're going to communicate with the police and and for safety. They're going to do all these things that homeowners would do mm-hmm. that we're all used to used to seeing in other areas. But so so we we kind of felt that, and also have to help them establish some credit, and that that was so they could buy things you know without paying so much for them. So that was the whole idea was is to really stabilize the neighborhood 
and get some uh, homeowners in here and really, really change things. And that, that helped us to, to establish and change things in, uh, in Waterfront South. Well, I see that one of the important components of your program is to build bridges between the community that you serve and those who seek to serve others, which is pretty much how it started. How do you do that? So when I first started here, one of the lessons, you know, stepping into these into this role, it was a uh, it was, it was very scary. And so just very quickly, one of my meetings with Father Doyle was, you know, I, I was really worried whether or not I could live up to the task. And he just kept it really simple. He said, just do your bit, which is, it's, it's a simple, but very deep meaning. Just do your part, do your part good, do it well, but just know your role. You don't have to do everything, but do something. Right. And so that is something that he said to me and he says it to everyone um, in terms of building the bridge. Um, that's one thing that he said as well is keep telling the mission, keep telling the story and the power of the people of Camden, tell it to the world, tell it to the surrounding, um, surrounding suburbs, tell it to, you know, the rest of the city, people need to know the stories. Um, and so because there are good people in this world that want to do good things and people want to help, sometimes they just don't know how to do it. So, you know, the heart of Camden is that bridge um, and uh, to be able to kind of give people the opportunity to serve their their fellow man, right? And so that's one thing that that we've been able to figure out is whether, you know, in the past it was, you know, volunteer volunteering to build homes. Now it's the opportunity maybe to work with kids, you know, to come and work with the uh, kids at the school, donate, volunteer with turkey baskets, uh, Christmas baskets, uh, toy drives, to be able to kind of help out with festivals. I mean, there's just so many ways that people get involved. You know, um, we just had an Easter egg hunt, which was completely driven by volunteers from Morristown and, and donors, right? But it wasn't about that. It was about the kids. And so we had 150 kids, had a dynamic time, uh, with the Easter Bunny, with I mean, and and that to me, kind of you know, when I had those difficult days, but when I could see the kids having an amazing day, and to hear one literally say, it, it was a five-year-old baby, but you know, like this is the greatest day of my life, you know, because Aww. it just it was the innocence of that, right? I mean, that kind of reminds you why are we doing this? So it's so simple things, but the bridge is to be able to give people the opportunity to serve their fellow man. And so I think that's where the heart of Camden comes in. And I think that's where the Sacred Heart Parish, you know, comes in as well. I think it's good that you were talking about the kids and, you know, having them have some good days because, you know, I'm sure they're living in, some of them may be living in areas where, you know, the days aren't so good, so to speak. Talk about some of the um, mentoring uh, aspects of your programs uh, at the uh, heart of Camden. Other than some of the festivals, how do you work one-on-one with some of the kids? So the initial vision was to create a center or create a space um, that families and children felt safe and that could provide the services that they needed. And so initially, you know, the heart of Camden started out in terms of operating the Michael J. Doyle Fieldhouse, which is a community gym, as well as uh, spaces where the community can come and meet. It was about creating a space where a place that, you know, youth can grow, right? I mean, I, I think that was critical. And so what happened was the heart of Camden kind of figured out, okay, our role here is to create those opportunities and hand them off to people that can do them much better than we can. So right now we have amazing partners here. Uh, we have the Camden Sophisticated Sisters. We have the Lucy program. There's other youth-based programs here that offer services from the field house. So they have open gyms, after school tutoring, 
um, programming. The Catholic Schools Partnerships uh, runs their um, basketball leagues from here. There's a charter school in Camden that uses the space for their basketball programs. So it's a collaborative and it's a partnership. Why? Because, you know, the heart of Camden realizes that we're good at initiating and starting, but then we need to find partnerships. And so we are partnering with the groups that do it well. How important is it to have you know, key and active partners get involved with the nonprofits like Heart of Camden. It's, it's very, very important. It's 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 the always we, we always hear what can we do? What can we do? And we say, well, you got to roll up your sleeves and look people in the eyes and, and help them. Um, sending money. Sure. We'll take the money. <laughs> we never <laughs> turn right. that down. We think more involvement is really what makes the difference. Uh, a lot of people come and see physically what's going on there and then they want to do something. They like as Carlos was saying, they want to help us with the food drives. They want to help us with the toy store collections. They, they, want to, they want to help, but they want to do it where they know where their money and their time is going to a good good source. Right. We never went after corporations as much as we went after individuals. Mm-hmm. Individuals make the difference. We always thought that a little bit from a lot of people will, will sustain us, and it, it always has in all the projects we've been involved with. Uh, we have a basketball league that we have for our grade school kids there that won the uh, championship a couple of years ago. Oh. Did great. Nice. So when you have those kind of situations where you can find that and see it yourself, you want to help more that way rather than sending your money, which is good, but it's better when you get involved personally. Right, right. You need boots on the ground, rolling up those sleeves. Absolutely. Right. Now, you mentioned the field house, the, uh, the gymnasium. Um, I was interested in hearing about the other projects that you had going on where yeah. you built, I believe, a, an artist studio and a haiku writer's house. Tell me about that. We were fortunate that we had someone in Monsignor who really pushed us, right, to kind of think larger and bigger than what was there. And so, you know, I remember growing up and hearing him, you know, talk about access to the water, having, you know, beautiful parks. And here I was in in the neighborhood when none of that existed, right? And so we just thought, wow, okay, okay. You know, we're just listening as kids. Uh, and I remember literally an activity where in at Sacred Heart where we drew these parks, we drew access to the water, and then he started talking about the art. Ben, am I correct in that he said the art will save us? Yes. You know, yes. Uh, that was one of his quotes. And um, so he had this vision that how do we use art as a as a way to enrich the lives of the people of Camden, but also as an economic development tool. You know, um, Camden right now, um, whether it's because of lack of density or, you know, economic uh, forces in terms of is there enough uh, purchase power, you know, like you don't have enough of the smaller businesses here to kind of sustain a commercial quarter, but the arts are an economic engine for us. So now we have people throughout the region who come and visit the neighborhood, people from the city who come and enjoy the arts, people from the community and the youth who use these spaces. And so that has been a driver for us. And it's also given the community a unique identification in terms of a community where the arts exist. So there's the South Canyon Theater. There's the Nick Virgilio Writers House. There is the... Camden Fireworks, which is an art gallery, and there's a Camden Maritime Museum, and then finally the Michael J. Doyle Fieldhouse. So so those are kind of outside of housing. These are community facilities, 
and economic drivers for the neighborhood. And when we left out there was the Nick Virgilio uh, Writer's House. Yep. So each space has its own focus. Um, obviously, you know, the theaters has amazing shows. And like I said, I mean, people throughout the region come and enjoy it as well as community events. And we're going to start having uh, summer programming for the youth. Um, to kind of learn about art, the arts in terms of either building sets, having shows, how do you run them? And and right now, out of the Nick Virgilio Writers House, there's a partner, uh, you guys may have heard about them from Philadelphia, who actually now is in Camden as well. It's, it's the Mayu Writers. The art gallery is phenomenal. Um, we just brought in a new director who is, um, she is a uh, woman of color. And uh, she's been phenomenal in that she's been able to bring a different flavor you know, a different feel to the uh, fireworks. And so now she's bringing artists who are uh, representative of the community, who are who's showing art that the community can really appreciate. And so that is something that's really important to us as well. And the Camden Maritime Museum has been phenomenal. And now they're expanding their programs. Uh, but right now they have a great partner. Uh, it's called Urban Boatworks. And Urban Boatworks teaches youth how to build boats. And they literally build these boats. They put them into the Delaware and they sell them. Wow. So it, I mean, there's a lot of good synergy here. And so, you know, we're trying to build on that. So right now, you know, we're working on a few new uh, projects and uh, programs to kind of complement that. So we want to be able to find additional uh, programs that will complement the existing artists and uh, whether it's artist housing or maker spaces, which is which are kind of uh, places that people need to make their art kind of things that um, complement what's happening now. You guys have a, a lot going on, a lot to offer the yeah. community. I just wanted to ask you, do you feel that you are reaching the community the way that you would like to or do you feel that there are some some challenges? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's always challenges. I mean, you know, so right now we're going through what's called a neighborhood planning process. Mm -hmm. And that is something that is going to drive our work. So a neighborhood planning process is essentially the heart of Camden finding resources to have a planner come in and engage the community to talk about what is the vision for your community for the next 10, 15, 20 years? What is it that you want here? What are the type of businesses? What's the type of housing? Uh, what are the issues right now um, that you're facing? So we're hearing clearly that clean, clean and safe is a major priority. Coexistence and respect from the industry that surrounds the community is very important, right? Um, so I, I think that many times industry operates, and I don't think that they wake up every single day thinking, how do I make a community's life worse? I think that they just operate without thinking about the effects of how their businesses impact other people. And so we're reminding them that there is a community here that you have to respect, that you have to acknowledge that exists here. And then public safety is another one. Mm -hmm. um, housing. So in that discussion with the community, we've heard clearly kind of what it is that they want. And did we miss the target the first time around? You know, one thing with the arts, it can be very tricky because um, the arts can be a phenomenal uh, life enriching thing. But if you don't do it correctly, it can make people feel left out. It can push people out, you know. And so you have to kind of um, be very clear about how hearing people in terms of what they want in their community, how do you meet that need and do it in a way that's not going to push the existing residents out and it's only going to support their lives. But also, you know, you have to kind of create some balance, right? Uh, we, we know that we have to create a 
neighborhood of choice. We have to kind of offer different housing options. There are some people who need to market rate housing. So, yeah, I mean, there's it's, it's a very complicated you know, discussion, but the neighborhood planning process is phenomenal in that by the time the process is done, we go back to the community, we keep checking in, checking in, checking in. Finally, we will have a document that we can say, okay, let's do one last check-in. Did we get it right? Did we hear you? Do you agree with this? Because once you say yes and we get buy-in, this is submitted to the city of Camden. It's submitted to the state of New Jersey. And this becomes the blueprint where it drives our work, it drives the investment from the city of Camden. It drives resources from the state and federal government into the neighborhood. Why? Because everyone now feels comfortable that if they're going to invest, there's buy-in from the community because they're they're abiding by this document that the community wrote. So it's an important process. It's it's not about the document to me as much as the process that got the document done. When I talk to nonprofits, I always like to discuss uh, the COVID situation because COVID came in and really kind of made us pivot and change the way we do things. Um, And of course, it also lends itself to opportunities to help the community in some way. Were you you guys involved in the efforts for with vaccination and testing and the like with with COVID? And how did COVID really change how you guys uh, operate? It's interesting. I was uh, about a year and a half in. Uh, I was ready to was ready to hit the ground. And I, we kept talking about all these things we were going to do. And suddenly the world changed for all, everyone and the heart of Camden included. So we had to pivot quickly. We completely staffed up in terms of to be able to support the community, right? Um, around education, around safety. Um, so we got involved with, um, Ben helped us and the parish helped us with vaccination events. We did a lot of outreach. We handed out face masks, food, hand sanitizer, cleaning supplies. Diapers were a Diapers. major, a major need. Wow. Um, uh, I, I can't. I mean, anything and everything that you could think of, we pivoted right away. Now, when and, you were doing the, the 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 vaccination efforts, Ben, maybe you could talk to this. I know there was a lot of hesitancy, vaccine hesitancy at first. What was that like? I know you had to educate the public and let them know about the vaccine, and you know make sure that they had the proper information, the, the the real information and not what they were hearing. A lot of people, you know, tended to just, you know, gravitate yeah, to what they yeah, were hearing. The, yeah, there's, yeah. All, there's always that uh, that rumor on the street. Mm-hmm. There's always that grapevine on the street that says, oh, no, you don't need the vaccine. Oh, no, I'm not going to do the vaccine. Or I'm going to wait for the pill or something. And, or something. And, right. You know, and so what we did was we reached out to a lot of the community leaders, those people in the neighborhood that people listen to that we reached out and we said, Hey, we need you to come get vaccinated. So that'll help other people convince them this is the right thing to do, including myself and, and Carlos and all of us. So we, we kind of had to lead uh, through example and show people that, you know, Hey, this is safe. This is going to work. You're going to be around a long time if you do this. And uh, we, we can help, we can help you to understand it. We hand out a lot of information uh, as Carlos said, we we hand out pamphlets and, and brochures, and and we knock door to door to try to get people to get involved. We got the churches involved, all all the, all the different denominations, so that we could all come together and say, "Hey, this is the right thing for this community. Don't worry about what the street says. Worry about where you find the truth and where the truth lies." And right. and it, it was very successful our campaign to vaccinate people. And what was even more impressive was a lot of people came back for the second shot. Oh, which, 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 okay. which is what I was really worried about, whether they'd come back. And they, they did. They came back in great numbers. Yeah. And I think part of it was 
also using a space. This is a space that their children played out of. People got food out of. This is a community center that literally, knock on wood, we have never been vandalized. I mean, it's a place that people feel safe. Mm -hmm. And if we were willing to step out there and offer the vaccination in partnership with the parish, I think it said a lot as well. You know, COVID hit really close, you know, to us. I mean, we lost, you know, I won't get into too much detail, but we lost someone very close to us within the organization. And uh, a long time, you know, leader, in the community and definitely Colbert and mention her name because okay. she's right. so, she, her name so should be we, we did lose Stephanie and uh and uh, it was um it was a major loss for us you know mm-hmm. she was a longtime community leader an advocate a voice and when you lose somebody like that it, it, it hits close to home and it you know people throughout the community understood this is serious this is not something you see on the news <laughs> it's not something that only exists out there you know it, it was happening in Canberra. Right. well in our final moment um wanted to talk about a big fundraiser very important that we need to talk about you guys have something coming up in the works what's coming up all right so we have our 35th annual sister peg hines memorial golf tournament and uh it, it is the last week of may and um, this is our 35th year. The actual date is May 26th, and it'll be at the Pensalkin C- Country Club. And for us, you know, it, it's it's one of our biggest fundraisers, but more importantly, it gives us an opportunity to keep telling our story. It, it, it's once again, that bridge, right, where mm-hmm. people from New York, Pennsylvania, all of New Jersey come to this event. We're able to tell them about the good things that are happening in Camden, in uh, South Camden, and with the heart of Camden. So more importantly, it also honors Sister Peg Hines who was a former executive director for the Heart of Camden, uh, who unfortunately was uh, killed in a car accident. And so this is in, in her memory. She was a major advocate for affordable housing. And, uh, you know, she fought very hard for many years. And, you know, I had the opportunity to grow up with her as well as work for her and, you know, major advocate for the work that we're doing. And so she was a major loss. And um, for those of us that knew her and um, still remember her, it's it's important to always honor her memory and kind of, you know, the way she lived her life. So. All right. So for those who would like to get involved, volunteer, perhaps go to the golf tournament, where should they go? Partofcamden.org. You could always call our Phone number here at 856-966-1212. You know, you could email us if you want to get involved, if you want to volunteer, if you want to donate, if you want to join or even come to the golf tournament. Sounds good. All right, Ben, any final parting words? Yeah, I just I just wanted to say again that helping others is fundamental to, I'm sure, to a lot of us. But the, the thing to fully understand is that in the Philadelphia, Camden, New Jersey area, it's one of the poorest areas in the country with right. a $24,000 median income, which is one of the lowest in the entire country. So people are in constant need of, of the basics that we take for granted, uh, a, a supermarket to go get food, right. uh, a place to go buy almost anything. So when we, we take that all into perspective, we have to understand and we have to help. And like I said, the uh, uh, financially, and with volunteerism. We need you to, to help us and come and help the, the people. And you'll you'll get a lot out of it by doing that because you get to see and, and, and you appreciate uh, what, more what you have, and you'll be blessed, you know, to, well, for your efforts of helping others. Heart of Camden. Dot org. Ben Hill, Carlos Morales with the Heart of Camden. Thank you so much for your time today on Bridging Philly. Thank you. Thank you.
30 Seconds to Second Chances, brought to you by the Gift of Life Donor Program. On the surface, devout Catholic Carol McLeod has little in common with Abdul Karim Salahuddin. First Muslim person I ever met. But their worlds collided with Carol's son, Ryan Dodd. He was just an angel. She donated his organs, saving Kareem's life. She made a decision to save other folks, to save me. The two realized they have much in common, and now they're family. She's a hero to me. Register as an organ donor at DonorsOne.org and help save lives. Welcome back to Bridging Philly. Sharaday Howard brings us this week's newsmaker. This week, our newsmaker is someone we've been following throughout her journey. She's made headlines from Philly to the West Coast, Desiree Lamar Murphy. You may remember her from our 2021 show, where she shared her passion as an educator turned community advocate who opened Murphy's Giving Market, a food pantry from her own backyard during the pandemic. And in that interview, she expressed her determination to transition her nonprofit from her yard into a brick and mortar space. And that's exactly what she did after she partnered with Phil Abundance and that food pantry became a community center. Newly located at 7408 Westchester Pike in Upper Darby. Welcome to Bridging Philly, Desiree. Now you had a dream and you made it happen, but it wasn't a dream for you. It was a dream for your entire community. I tell people that feel abundance, like I feel like I'm the Olivia Pope of poverty. Like if there's a problem, I want to find someone who come in and offer solutions so that people can have resources. So we had plans. We first started out, we were just a food pantry. And then we had the understanding that in order to really rid people of poverty, we have to teach them, give them more resources. So right now we're offering GED classes. We plan to offer mental health resources. We plan to partner with the, the township or the county to offer WIC services. And we're just going to keep growing and keep growing but every time. So that's what we do. If you come to me and say, I have a problem with child care, I want to find a way to get that in this building so that people don't have to go far outside the community to get resources. So this vision is really about resources and education. You've bridged those two things. Right. And they understand our vision. And it's not just about those who are currently impoverished. It's about those who just don't know how to get connected to resources. Like a lot of times people don't have access, but it's because they don't know how to get access. Because sometimes people put like communities or cities or organizations put the information out there, but they don't really share it the right way. So we, once we get the information, we want to tell you exactly how to get it. Knowledge is power. And we know that. So we want to give people the knowledge so they, ha- they know how to get resources and then they can come to us if they don't know how to get resources. What exactly is Murphy's Giving Market? So we started out as Murphy's Giving Market, which was just a food pantry. But we realized recently that we're just giving, we're giving more than just food. We're giving resources, we're giving healthcare resources. But most of all, we're trying to give hope, like to tell the community that, listen, we know that you're in this situation, but it doesn't have to last this way. Like, tell us what you need and we're going to try to make sure that you get what you need so you don't have to stay this way. And you're doing this from a place of familiarity. This really touches close to home for you. I was that way and I didn't stay that way because somebody gave me hope and somebody connected me to resources. So that's what it's about, making those connections for folks. You know what it's like to be hungry. What does it feel like now to be the person that people count on and they come to? So where I was was someone who needed like food resources, someone needed housing resources, and people really couldn't help me. But what I did was people showed, told me, well, hey, if you go to Community Action, they can help you do, they may be able to help you. And just the fact that thought that they may be able to started the wheels turning and started the process for me. And then I said, well, what about this? If they can help me with this, then there has to be something to help me with this. And it's not even just then. Like just today, I have no heat because my heater broke. And it was like, it's going to cost $10,000. And someone stepped up and said, I'm going to fix your heater for you because I have they have they believe in me and you know it gives me hope so because of that it keeps me going even more we have to be able to help one another and teach one another you know what resources are out there other because people don't have to suffer 
Not in America. Not in my community they won't suffer. Not as long as I know how to connect them to resources because it just, it just doesn't make, make any sense. Just that one day without heat, like I felt so guilty. I was like, I'm complaining because I don't have heat. But what about somebody who doesn't have a home? What about somebody who doesn't have clothes that can get them warm? Like I felt like guilty, like ashamed, like I shouldn't be complaining because I don't have heat. When, you know, I can access funds to get my heater fixed. I, I know how to roots to get it done. What about the person that doesn't know? What about the person that doesn't have clothes, the extra clothes to throw on? What about the person that doesn't have blankets? What about the person that doesn't have a house? Like, I, I really can't complain. The thing is, getting the knowledge, getting the wisdom, getting the resource, and then sharing them. That's the problem with some of our communities. We don't share resources. Okay, so you told me this is pretty much your calling. This is who you are. And now this is about a call to action. This is a community model that you're setting. Right, and and I think I'm called on by my ancestors because, you know, they did this work, but also from God. Like when God tells you, or pushes you to do something, you really don't have a choice. When you have that calling and that vision and you have that push from whatever, you know, spiritual or whatever, whatever uh, space it is out there, you just have to go because you don't have a choice. So you just go. And things happen. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to work out. And it just works out. I'm like, like, okay, well, it's pushing me to the next level. And that's what happens. You just keep leveling up and leveling up until, you know, because it's for a purpose. It's not about me. Okay. So when we met, you were working out of your house, your yard, your porch, everything was in your kitchen, everything was in your backyard. <laughs> and you were doing the best you could just to make sure your walls were being <laughs> pushed back. You needed to do something to expand. And now you're in your own space. Right. Can you tell me how you got here? So the, the interviews, the, the, you coming and speaking to us and then other stations coming out and speaking to us and me saying, listen, I could do so much more if I had more. And Phil Abundance heard that. They're, they're my biggest supporters. And I can give them like all the praise because if I just say, they come, I don't even have to say I need. They see me and say, Desiree, what do you need? Because they respect the work that we do. They respect the, the fact that the, the, that the friends, we don't call them clients or constituents. We call them friends. The friends visit the market, are very appreciative of it. Um, and they back us. And they said, what do you need? I said, I need a building. So I said it everywhere. I was like, I need a building. And they were like, we're going to get you a building. And they did it. So tell me about the new space. So we're located in Upper Darby at 7408 Westchester Pike, right off of State Road in Westchester Pike. And it's an awesome location. It's three blocks from my home. So people that used to come to my house don't have to walk far. But it's also so close to the, the 69th Street uh, Septa Station. There's like four or five buses that run up and down Westchester Pike. There's the sub, the L. There's so much. It's so convenient. There's park, there's public parking. There's metered parking so people can get to us. People can walk to us. So you serve so many communities within communities. So who are your people? Who walks through your doors? Our people are everyone. So our people are... You know, our neighbors down the street, our neighbors in Havertown, our neighbors in Drexel Hill, Philadelphia, like they are our people. We call them our friends because that's who we are. And we serve such a diverse population and we ask them, we, we, we kind of survey them. You know, what, we have bananas, but what else do, from your culture would you like to see at the market so we can try to get it? Because we try to be culturally responsive to everyone's needs, just not just my needs. Yes, I may eat spaghetti, but you may eat bok choy or something else that I've never even tasted before. And it's so wonderful because not only do they come and experience that, but they'll come and make it for us and say, here, you know, we got lunch for you today. And this is what we made from the things that we got from the market, you know, because we want you to taste our food. So we get like lunch and we get like tastings of people's food. And, you know, it's like a culture. Upper Darby's uh, motto or theme is a, a world in one place. Murphy's Market is, this has that same, you know, vision. Like people that come to, uh, to Murphy's Market are so culturally diverse. And our volunteers, some of them once were people that came to the market. And we were like, and they asked, can they volunteer? We're like, sure, come on in. Because we need to see our volunteers and our staff needs to look like the community because we don't speak all those languages. We speak one, but we are so diverse in our staff and our volunteers. And I think that's also like an extra relief for the people that come. 
You speak the human language, I notice. Not just of need and want, but of generosity. And it sounds like you need it because people are coming from every corner of your community, every background. Meaning Ecuador, um, Mexico, like all the Latinx communities. We have uh, Middle Eastern communities. We have Bangladesh, a large Bangladesh population here. We have Indian families. We have you know, all, all the Middle Eastern populations. We have a large Asian population, very large. Then we have, you know, Jamaican population. We have Haitian. Like, Upper Darby has over 96 languages spoken in Upper Darby alone, which is like close to New York. And they all come right here to Murphy's Market, all 200 of them on a Tuesday at 12 o'clock. <laughs> so, yes, tell me your hours. So we're open Tuesdays from 12 o'clock until we're done. More Normally it's like 4. But our families come out at 8 o'clock in the morning, which is when we get here to give them a ticket and a reservation time to come back. But they're here 6 o'clock in the morning, 5.30 in the morning. My alarm is going off my phone that people are here because that need is just so great. But they also know if they come here, it's not like any other pantry. It's not like they're going to get a box of pre-made food or someone's going to get a bag and put what they want in it they get to shop with a choice and a voice for what they want for their family i love that i love that so a day in a life of murphy's pantry what does that look like busy <laughs> so we get here about eight o'clock um we start stocking the shelves from the stuff that we have we get a delivery around between nine and ten and we start unloading that we're giving out tickets and reservations for people to come back um some of them stay and help us load un stock the shelves um, and then we get trucks with produce and we get other things to come in and we're working and we're talking to folks, folks and I try to come when I can, you know, so they can see my face because I still have a real job, like, you know, regular paying job, not a real job, paying job. And just to hug people and just to speak to people and just to, so they can see me and not just like, oh, yeah, Desiree used to be here, you know, whatever happened to her. Um, I bring my grandson sometimes. They'll say, hey, where's Christopher? He's almost three now. They, he, I started this when he was one. So volunteerism starts as, as young as one year, one year old. Um, and that's what a day in life is. It's very busy. We've started out with 30 families in my backyard. We're up to 200 families a week now. So not only is it a family affair in terms of who comes, but who works here? Who does this work? Now, you made sure that your family was involved and that you're passing down this legacy. Right. Looking forward. What do you see? It is so important. Like my kids come and volunteer when they're home from spring break, but they bring their friends. They'll say, well, my, my friend needs community service hours. Well, don't just do it for community service hours. Do it because this is what you want to do. Like this is what makes an impact on the community. And some of them will come and don't even ask for community service hours. I work with the, um, up the Upper Starby High School Kids Service Club. They like to come and volunteer um, because, you know, that's what they do. But also the, the, the vibe, the the... the air about the space is just so zen-like and they just like to be here. Um, my grandson started volunteering when he was one. People say, well, how old can you volunteer? He volunteered when he was one. And then the volunteers that are here, like they bring their family members because it feels like they bring their wives, they bring their sisters, they bring other family members to come in and volunteer because they like, oh, it's so nice over there. Let me bring them to so they can really see what it's like to volunteer. We're not just pushing people to work. No, we want you to work with the passion and empathy for the community, but also to know that, you know, this is the work that we do and we want should have appreciation for it too. So going forward, what does the future look like for Murphy's Giving Market? So maybe a bigger building, maybe in some addition to this building. I don't know. I'm just going to let God lead us how he wants us to go. But we definitely are, are growing quicker than we ever imagined. So you have a vision for every corner of this space. Right. Can you tell me about that? So when Philip Bundes gave us the building, we were only doing food one day a week. And I said what the, the, the huge support and gift that they gave us of paying, you know, at least for 
you know, extended period of time. What sense does it make to be open one day a week? It has, we have so much space here. And I just had a vision of seeing this building operational five days a week. How can we do that? By offering supports to the community that can be open five days a week. How can we support children? We try to support the whole person, the whole family. How can we support children? How can we support the elderly? How can we support, you know, m moms like with the WIC program or some sort of nutrition program? How can we support everyone in this one space so it's operational? So I'm not making, you know, bad decisions with Philip abundance funds, but also so that community can see us as a real resource center, not a plate building. They walk by and see a sign and say, oh, I can go there and get food on Tuesdays. But more than that, definitely mental health. With COVID, even before COVID, mental health was, 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 was a challenge, but definitely mental health, pulling in those mental health resources so that people can get uh, children's therapy, family therapy, just so they can have someone to talk to free of charge. Anyone that comes in this building to offer a service has to be free of charge to the community because we're in, a, we're in one of the most impoverished townships in Delaware County. People need support. So offering mental health services, offering um, children services for youth and, and the youth, whether it's reading, whether it's music programs. I would love to have a music program from young, for young children, um, whether it's, you know, a, a nutrition program. Just offering supports and services. We have the GED program going. I want to bring in an ELCL program or some sort of language program. Like any, offering any service to the community that would be beneficial. I ask the community, what do you need? And then we try to connect, find a way to get that here for them. So you're an example out there to people who maybe have a calling and don't know exactly how to do it. What do you say to that person who says, I have a purpose, I have a calling, how do I do it now? So just remember those who, like me, were like cold last night. Some people live with that every single day. And what can you do about it? Like, I believe, I'm a firm believer that if you experience something, it's not for you. You experience that because God wants you or the higher being wants you to know what other people are going through and be able to help them that way. Wise words. Thank you so much for being here, Desiree. Now, if you'd like to learn more about Murphy's Giving Market, go to their website at murphysgivingmarket.org, where you can access resources and upcoming events. That's it. I'm Sharday Howard, and that's our newsmaker. 30 Seconds to Second Chances, brought to you by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Joe Pratt survived two tours in Vietnam, but was barely living after a diagnosis of COPD. My quality of life was about zero. A lung transplant offered a shot at recovery. I didn't have any second thoughts. After six weeks on the wait list, he got the gift of life. A new day. Nearly two dozen people a day die waiting for a second chance, and many are people of color. There's enough of us out here who are donors that eliminate people dying. Register as an organ donor at DonorsOne.org and help save lives. At Devereaux Advanced Behavioral Health, we exist to change lives by unlocking and nurturing human potential for people living with emotional, behavioral, or cognitive differences. We were founded in 1912 by a special education teacher in South Philadelphia. And since then, we've been treating the most vulnerable members of the population in the same way we would treat our own families. To learn more about our evidence-based, trauma-focused care for children, adolescents, and adults, visit Devereaux.org. The Philly Rising Changemaker of the Week. Presented by Devereaux Advanced Behavioral Health. KYW's Antoinette Lee here with this week's Philly Rising Changemaker. This week, we're highlighting Judge Keith Williams II from Delaware County. He's involved with an organization called Men on Mission. They've been bringing together community members, many of them men alumni. They've been helping to mentor and motivate students at William Pidwood High School in Yadin, Delaware County. So I guess you could say he's a judge on a mission. Here's more from our Changemaker of the Week. 
Judge Williams, welcome to Bridging Philly. First of all, tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to becoming a district judge in Delaware County. I'm from Southwest Philadelphia originally. I grew up there. We left Southwest when I was about 15. and We ended up moving out to Yaden. Uh, and then that period of time, Yaden was, uh, uh, it still is a really beautiful place. It was much different from Southwest Philadelphia and ended up graduating from uh, the local school there, Penwood High School, uh, went off to Lincoln University, uh, pursued a business administration degree, graduated from Lincoln University in 1987 and uh, was recruited to work for uh, Kellogg Sales Company as a territory manager. Worked for them for about um, about three years in the D.C. area. Took the LSAT, did well. The uh, uh, couple of schools reached out to me. North Carolina Central University in Durham was one of the schools that reached out and offered some money. So I went down to North Carolina, went to law school, was able to uh, um, secure a JD from NCCU. Uh, graduated there in 1993. Moved back to the Delaware County area. Noticed that there were no uh, attorneys in the area and decided to open up my shop, hung out my shingle. I've been practicing law ever since, really. Ten years ago, I uh, decided to run for district judge and was uh, uh, elected. And I've uh, been working in that capacity as a district court judge for about 10 years now. Now, Men on a Mission, it's a fairly new initiative that began just last year. And you didn't start it, but you have helped, you know, to grow it and expand it. So tell us about that. The organization was actually started uh, by Dr. Bicos, Dr. Eric Bicos. And I believe it originated out of a, out of a, uh, a prior scenario where there were a lot of um, uh, fights and some bad press that the high school was receiving. And so he thought it would be a good idea to offset that a little bit with some positivity. So again, the program is just uh, an opportunity for men who are from the community, people who graduated from Penwood High School to um, show up uh, during the school day, preferably in the morning, to greet the kids, to let them know that we are uh, interested in their well-being, offer some advice, encouragement, and that sort of thing. And uh, that was pretty much it. But I decided that it would be even more impactful if we would be able to set up opportunities for kids to kind of talk to us one-on-one. So uh, I created this uh, scenario after talking with uh, Dr. B. Coates, where students would come into the library for a period of time, uh, interested students who may be people, I'm sorry, students who may be interested in law or business or whatever, they would come in, we would sit down and talk with them on a one-on-one basis. And we always say here on Bridging Philly that it takes a village. I wonder how receptive has students been to this idea of, you know, bringing community members into the schools? They're high school students, and it's been overwhelming. I mean, the kids are very excited. They've had uh, good pointed questions. Uh, They have uh, talked about their aspirations. Um, We've had an open dialogue about how to do it and what, what to look for, what not to look for, what uh, how how you should plan your life accordingly to you know uh, your aspirations and so it's been received well you know it's been my experience that unfortunately sometimes kids just don't have proper direction uh, they they don't understand the importance of setting goals and um, and having a plan to achieve these goals and so uh, if we can just uh, inspire some kids support them encourage them that would be awesome um, and we'll we'll continue to do that. 
You know, it's not often that kids get to interact with a judge in a positive and I would say somewhat, you know, casual manner like this. So this is quite an opportunity. Have there been any misconceptions or questions that you've addressed for students as to how the judicial system works? You know, sometimes in my position as a judge, I sit on the opposite side of the bench, obviously. And and while it's important for me to uh, administer justice in a fair and equitable way, it's also important, even more important, to try to make sure that we get to our kids early enough to try to prevent them from coming into the courtroom in the first place. So it has to be a balanced approach. So, you know, that's the reason why I'm a part of it. Um, uh, and that's the reason why I think it's been so uh, positive and so um, uh, important for our community. Uh, I'll just share with you one story that that happened while I was on the bench, actually. Uh, I was in truancy court and there was a young man who uh, was getting involved in some problems at school and cutting class and that sort of thing. So I gave him my option. I was like, listen, uh, you have option A is to complete 300 hours of community service. Option B is to tell me or for you to write an essay, because during that session, during the, uh, the court um, room uh, discussion, he indicated that he may be interested in going to, to college. And I told him, well, what I need from you is an essay, and I want you to go into detail about um, how you get there, what school that you're interested in applying to, what the GPA requirement is coming out of undergrad, I'm sorry, coming out of high school, um, what type of LSAT score you need. And so um, just to get his mind, you know, uh, uh, set and to start to really think about how you go from point A to point B. And to make a long story short, he came back to me after not only uh, applying to college, uh, being accepted, uh, graduated from college. And he said that he was very happy and that I was part of the whole decision-making process. So if we can do things like that, not only on the bench, but also uh, reaching back to kids, then I think, uh, you know, we'll be much better off as a society. And for those who haven't heard of Yaden or don't know much about it, tell us about this community. Uh, right now, I would say a majority, well-intact African-American community. We boast a long history of uh, successful African-Americans. So the Nile Swim Club was the first and only African-American swim club, and it's here right in Yaden. And so the historical organization came out um, last summer and, and actually gave us the accolades. So now that just kind of tells you about Yaden. We also have like a strip of stores and businesses on Church Lane, all African-American owned. And yeah, I think I think the community is just a great community to live in, to work in, to uh, set up shop. And my practice actually has been on Church Lane, my law practice, for over 25 years. Judge Williams, thank you so much for joining us on Bridging Philly and thank you for what you're doing to bridge your community. That's it for our Philly Rising Changemaker this week. If you would like to learn more about Men on Mission, their website is williampinsd.org slash menonmission. Again, that's williampinsd.org slash menonmission. And as always, if you know a Philly Rising Changemaker we should highlight next, please reach out to me. I would love to highlight them next week or the week after as our Philly Rising Changemaker. You can find me on Twitter at ARLeeOnAir. That's A-R-L-E-E on air. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Thanks for joining us on Bridging Philly, brought to you by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. If you know someone who would make a great newsmaker, changemaker, or panel guest, message us 
on Twitter at Bridging Philly. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. For Antoinette Lee, Shara Day Howard, and our producer, Arian Fulcher, I'm Raquel Williams. Be well.